Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 404 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday evening. It is June 18th. The Atlanta Braves are red hot, and I am joined, as I usually am, by my friend, Scott Coleman. Scott, what's hotter right now, the Braves or the temperature in Arizona? Ooh, um, you know, I, I think it's probably the temperature in Arizona. <laughs> uh, as well as the Braves are playing, it is brutally hot here. Um, I don't think listeners... In the uh, in the South, I know there's always that very fun dry heat versus humidity debate. Um, no humidity, but about 105 degrees here today. So thankfully indoors. Uh, but yeah, Braves are playing awesome. It was a great week, six and one, especially against a couple of bad teams. You want to take care of business against the bad ones, and uh, you know the Braves are really just firing on all cylinders right now. Yeah, and as we always do on the podcast, if you're a new listener, welcome aboard the show. We'll go through the week that was, as well as some broader themes. Look look ahead at the end of the podcast to what's coming up on the schedule. But as Scott just said, you know, they, they won six games in a row, 13-3 uh, and three now in the month of June. And I have a few numbers to throw at you before we kind of get a little bit deeper as the, as the podcast goes on. The Braves now lead all of Major League Baseball with 113 runs scored in the month of June across 16 games. You can do the math on that. Uh, well over six runs per game. They have 34 home runs in June, which is also number one. Coming into today, uh, so this number actually went up. I have not pulled it since then, but it was they had a 139 team WRC plus in the month of June. And again, that's before they scored 14 runs today. So I'm assuming it's going to be 140 or higher. Five different players on the Braves roster in regular playing time have at least 160 WRC plus in June, headlined by the rebirth of one Eddie Rosario, who has eight home runs this month. Uh, out of he's absolutely out of his mind. Uh, Michael Harris is coming alive as well. Uh, I mean, what else is there to say? We'll, we'll kind of circle back to it at the end of the podcast too. But the offense has just been Herculean the last few days, you know, covering up for some, there are some pitching questions that we'll probably talk a little bit about, but generally speaking, the offense has basically been the best in baseball the last several weeks. And that's why they're winning. Yeah. And it's really, it's one through nine is I think the most impressive thing. I mean, there is no easy place to go in this lineup for an out. I mean, there's, there's really not, it's crazy. I pulled uh, the team's numbers updated after scoring 14 on Sunday. And statistically speaking, your worst hitter has been Michael Harris, who is on fire right now. And there were all kinds of signs that he was about to break out and he has broken out five hits on Sunday, hitting for power and just seems to have the ball finally going his way. Um, Austin Riley has not been necessarily bad, uh, but right now Austin Riley is probably the easiest out in this Braves lineup. And this is a kid who is supremely talented and has all kinds of power and it's just kind of in a funk right now. Um, you, those two guys are really the only ones, statistically speaking, who are not setting the world on fire. You, of course, have Ronald Acuna Jr. at the top being incredible. And then guys like Orlando Arcia, Eddie Rosario, who you just mentioned, Marcelo Zuna, even guys who don't play every day like Travis Darneau and Kevin Pillar have been awesome in a reduced role this lineup is just so much fun to watch. And I joked, it was really nice of the Braves to gift a five run lead to the Rockies, almost like they wanted to uh, come out of a hole for once and try to uh, have to score some runs instead of taking these early leads that they've been doing. They responded with 14 runs and it, it's just a ton of fun to watch. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And look, the Rockies are not very good. We'll talk about that later on. They got almost nothing 
this weekend from either Ronald Acuna, who is, again, the National League frontrunner for MVP right now. So I'm not picking on him, but he was not very good by his standards this weekend. Him and Austin Riley, you would have probably said, or maybe at least maybe said, were their two best hitters coming into the season. And neither one did anything this weekend, and they scored a million runs and won by a million runs, and it just doesn't it doesn't really matter, honestly, uh, up and down the roster. Uh, one funny note: uh, this is we would never spend too much time on this on this podcast. I know you wouldn't, Scott, but the first All Star voting thing came out uh, this week, and much was made of Orlando Arcia leading all vote getters at shortstop in the National League, and it is funny to see him ahead of Lindor and Bogarts and Trey Turner and even Dansby Swanson. He doesn't qualify for Fangraph's leaderboards because he had the injury and missed all that time. But if he did, he would be, uh, at least coming into today, fourth among shortstops in the National League in war. And here's the funniest one. Number one among shortstops in the National League in WRC+. Now, that is outrageous. And look, yeah. I will I will own being wrong about Arcia, which I have been uh, strongly so far. Um, I, I can't believe he's sitting like this, to be honest with you. But it's still happening, and we're into June now. Even with a couple of uh, you know, a couple weeks off, we're at like maybe a third of the season for him. More, I guess maybe uh, not quite half like everybody else almost. But man, he has been outrageously good. Yeah, I mean, we uh, I, I vividly remember the podcast that you and I did. We jumped on right after the Braves sent down both Von Grissom and Braden Shoemake on the same day. And I think I I think I even texted you, and I'm like, what are these guys doing? Like, uh, you know, I guess at the time we all thought that Orlando Arcia was the safer defensive option and then it's like well you know what if he's batting ninth it's not really a spot of consequence in the lineup as long as he isn't embarrassing himself out there the Braves would probably prefer the stability of Arcia over one of the younger kids and Orlando has been awesome like full stop awesome in every regard he's hitting for power he's getting on base seems like he's had a whole bunch of big hits and big moments uh, I mean, it's crazy to, I really can't believe to say, but Orlando Arcia is more than deserving of being the starting shortstop for the National League in the All-Star game. And even if you were bullish on his profile or maybe as a, a post-hype sleeper or a late bloomer in his career as a guy who was once viewed as a top 25 prospect in the sport, I, I mean, I don't know if anybody thought Orlando had this in him. And, you know, you look back, he signed that that contract extension at the beginning of the year, I'm not even sure Orlando Arcia's own camp thought he had this in him. Well, there's no way or or he wouldn't have signed it. There's no chance they would have signed it. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I just, that popped into my mind the other day. It's like, you know, even, I mean, obviously all these guys are big leaguers. They're very confident in what they can do and rightfully so, but you know, he signed a, a very reasonable two-year extension earlier this year. Uh, so yeah, it, it's just been a blast to see. Seems like he's a great guy, gets along with everybody in the clubhouse and always having fun in the dugout. There was a great clip of him and Ozzy Albies going at each other during Sunday's afternoon's game. Um, but yeah, all aboard the Orlando Arcia train. I am not a huge all-star game guy. I know you're not either, Brad, but <laughs> yeah. I will uh, I will happily wave the pom-poms to get Orlando to uh, Seattle this year. Yeah, he's deserved it so far. Uh, I will uh, contractually point out that he does have a 404 BABIP, which is not going to last considering his career BABIP is 294. So that's there's some regression coming. But look, even if it's regression from this, that's still a pretty good player. And he has had a heck of a year and has been a big part of them playing very well when he's been in there. And it was also illustrative 
when he was out, like, you know, apologies to Von Grissom, the gap there was uh, relatively <laughs> large. So uh, having Garcia back in there and playing well is a good thing. Um, we'll save the rest of the news for later. Uh, there's some injury stuff to get to with Sean Murphy that we'll kind of wait till the end of the podcast. Unfortunately, it looks like, like it's not a complete disaster like it could have been. But let's dive in briefly to the Tiger series. It was a while ago. We don't have to spend too much time on this, but um, they did blow a lead. In fact, uh, I don't know about you, Scott. It felt like spirits were pretty low on Monday when the Braves were in total control of a game against a not horrific Tigers team, but not a great one either. And uh, Iglesias blew a three-run lead in the ninth inning. Um, and Ozuna had gotten hurt in that game, and he had been playing very well before that. Um, I'm not going to re- sort of litigate, litigate the entire thing, but um, Riley made a bad error in the bottom half of the uh, in the bottom half of, of, of the tenth inning. Uh, it was kind of a bad vibes game. It's kind of crazy because they, they have not lost since then. But Monday was a kind of a roller coaster ride, and uh, then they had to rain it on Tuesday. And it was like a long way to kind of fester. And you know how that is with Braves fans. Uh, right. A long time without a win, people get a little bit angry. Yeah, and they had lost on Sunday afternoon to the Nationals. So yes, anytime more than seemingly 24 hours passes without a Braves win, seems like the building is on fire. <laughs> uh, it, it's a long season, and I get it. People get frustrated, but um, yeah, obviously it was great to then take the the doubleheader the following day after the rain delay. Monday was frustrating. I mean, that's about as bad of a loss as you're going to have in June, just considering the opponent. And really, it was a, a game that looked like it was in the bag. Charlie Morton was strong, eight strikeouts over five and two thirds. Uh, you mentioned Ozuna was hit in the hand by a pitch, although he ended up being okay. Michael Harris had a good night. Uh, it was really just that bizarre ninth inning where you just kind of blinked and all of a sudden, Rysel Iglesias had given up the lead. Uh, you know, Rysel has not been great coming back from the shoulder injury. Uh, you know, he, he was just so good after the trade last fall. Uh, nobody should have expected him to be like quite literally perfect as he was in 2022, but he's, he's had some bad moments and hopefully he's just continuing to settle in. Uh, he, he's also been perfectly fine. Some nights, I believe he struck out three in a row on nine pitches on Sunday afternoon, getting just some work in because he hadn't really pitched. Hopefully you get Rysel going again. There weren't really any blow up blow ups from him after Monday night, but it was a, uh, a frustrating loss to be sure. Yeah, and again, it was it was almost a week ago now. We won't spend too much time on it, but it was kind of a kind of a weird one in some respects. Then Wednesday they go down four nothing out of the gate in the uh in the makeup. So they, they play a doubleheader Wednesday after getting rained out on Tuesday. And Strider didn't pitch very well. And I wanted to put a pin in this because Strider allowed five five run runs, back to back outings pretty were pretty bad. I'll uh, throw it to you to kind of ask you what you saw, but just to give you some numbers here, since the end of April, where he was the Cy Young front runner. Um, after April, where he was just completely and utterly dominating. Since then, nine starts for Strider, 5.55 ERA. Now, his XFIP is 334, so like his his peripheral numbers look fine to me. He's still striking out guys and all that stuff, but uh, it's not just two starts. Like He's not been the same guy for, I don't know, a few weeks now, let's just say, maybe even longer than that. Uh, and I wonder if you're worried and also what you saw in Wednesday started particularly because again, he got, he got knocked around and it was like Detroit's not a great offensive team. So that was a little bit concerning. Yeah. A bit concerning. Um, you know, my takeaway from that start was the tigers were sitting on the fastball and it, it didn't look like they were even looking for the slider or the changeup, especially early on. And they were all over it. I think all three of the fa- of the home runs were on fastballs. 
And when you throw the baseball as hard as Strider does, if a big league hitter times it up, they're going to drive it. I mean, that that is kind of the one downside uh, or turnaround, I guess, of, of that high of a pitch velocity. Um, you know, I'm curious to see what kind of adjustments Strider makes. And he's going to have a, a big and pretty important start on Tuesday night against Philadelphia in CBP, which is a hitter-friendly ballpark. And as we know, the Phillies have some power in that lineup. So I'm curious to see what adjustments he makes. And there was a great note that for the first time in his career, which is about 32 starts at this point, but really for the first time in a full calendar year, Strider threw more sliders and change-ups than he did fastballs. And that was particularly noticeable after the third inning when things were getting away from him. He There were a couple of batters where he did not throw a fastball. He he would throw five or six pitches, and it was all sliders or change-ups. And thankfully, he has a really good slider, and the change-up has come a long way. So I'm not necessarily worried about Spencer. If he goes out on Tuesday night and gives up three more home runs to the Phillies, then I think it's time for him and the pitching staff or pitching coaches to really sit down and maybe figure out a change or you know more of a significant alteration to his pitch mix. Uh, but it, it, I am really looking forward to that start because let's hope that he's made some adjustments and goes back to being Spencer Strider that we all know. Yeah, that sounds right to me. No reason to panic yet, but uh, a, a closer eye to be paid. You can't just uh, assume like we were. I know I was for a while that he was just going to be dominating all the time. Uh, he's not quite quite been the same guy recently. So keep an eye on that. The Rays to come back with that game, of course, they scored seven runs combined in the third and fourth and uh, erased that deficit and never trailed again. Harris, as we talked about earlier, has been breaking out. Ronnie had a home run um, in the in the early game. Game two, Dylan Dodd kind of blew up. He was actually added as the 27th man in that game. They pushed Smith Schauber back a day because they could basically give him an extra day of rest. And Dodd was okay, and then he wasn't. And suddenly the game was 5-5, but then Eddie Rosario, who we talked about earlier, just been out of his mind. He homered that ended up being the decisive blow. And the bullpen was, I mean, quite literally perfect. Uh, over five innings, no base runners. That doesn't usually happen. Uh, so that was a nice win. It kind of the only... I'm not even sure that was still not a normal. There, was, there were no normal games against Detroit. It was a lot, lots of uh, ups and downs, but that one at least was like kind of uh, holding stay down a stretch and they got out of there with a series win, despite the uh, anti-heroics from game one. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a pretty good chance that Eddie Rosario is going to be national league player of the week. Don't you? I mean, uh, home- yeah, I mean the way that he, uh, did he have, I think he's, so yeah, he's homered in four straight games, including a double home run. To, yeah. I think he's gotta be the favorite. If you, if you yeah. homer, if you, if you homer five times in four days, you're probably favored to win that award. I'd imagine. Yeah, I would think so. And um, even I think ESPN stats and info had a great stat about Eddie uh, for his, I think he was the first uh, player from, I believe he's Venezuelan. Um to Homer in four straight days since Carlos Beltran in like 2005. So, you know, he, he got some national attention and recognition as well, or maybe Puerto Rico is where uh, Eddie's from. But regardless, just a a nice win. You mentioned Dylan Dodd. I, I don't know if he's just a, a realistic candidate anymore to make these spot starts. Uh, he just clearly does not have the stuff to get through a lineup um, you know, my, it is worth noting that Colby Allard, who was acquired early in the offseason, yeah. uh, is uh, beginning a rehab start with Gwinnett. Now, Allard has not been great in his major league career. He, of course, is a familiar name to Braves fans once upon a time 
a very much a, a top prospect with the organization. It has not really worked out, but it, it is another arm to add to the mix. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about Jared Schuster here in a minute. Schuster has been okay in that fifth spot. Uh, Dodd clearly is not ready. I think the Braves want to take their time with Michael Soroka, and it seems like both Max Freed and Kyle Wright, while they are both on throwing programs and seem to be going in the right direction, we are at least a month away from Freed and probably even more so on Wright. But the fact the Braves were able to score one more after Dodd departed and then the bullpen was great. Uh, anytime you can take a doubleheader, I don't, you know, it doesn't matter who you're playing, right? You take a doubleheader, you're in good shape. Yeah, I strongly agree. Uh, one note on Dylan Dodd. Again, we're not trying to pile on, but the number that concerns me the most is uh, 24 and a third innings, 12 strikeouts. Uh, that's not going to work. Let's just say. Yeah, and I, uh, I think about half of those came in his first start against the Cardinals. So yeah, I mean, seven point four ERA, eight point seven two expected ERA, seven point six six FIP. Like it's not like he's getting unlucky. He's just getting uh, blitzed. Let's just say. So yeah, maybe maybe I'm not. I don't want to speak for you. I'm not closing the door on him ever being a guy. He's just not one right now. Um, that's no, I, I'm not either. He he moved pretty quickly through the system, and. As we know, because of the injuries, the Braves have had to throw some guys into the fire and some have been better than others. But no, I, I think there's probably a world where he is fine as like a fifth starter in the major leagues one day. Probably just not right now. We are on the same page there. All right, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. When we come back, touch on the Rocky series, which was a lot of fun to consume. If you are a fan of the Braves, we'll have a look ahead to what's coming up next week. Stay tuned. Be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Scott, let us dive into the Braves Rocky series from the weekend, and I will throw it to you. What do you make of the lineup change that the Braves rolled out at the beginning of the third? Obviously, it worked because uh, of the, all the results and all that stuff, but uh, I guess take, take yourself back to Thursday morning when this came out. Were you, uh, were you on board with the changes, and uh, what do you make of the whole thing? Yeah, I was frankly a little surprised, not necessarily at the lineup change on Thursday, but then the following three days where yeah. the lineup change stayed in place. Right. Uh -huh. uh, you know, the lefty starter on Thursday night made all the sense in the world for Ozzy to move up to two. Uh, Braves fans don't need to be told, but I guess we'll do it again. Ozzy Albies is incredible against left-handed pitching, just mashes from the right side. So to get him... Uh, up in the order behind Ronald is kind of a no-brainer, and I'm glad they did it. Uh, but I, I fully expected Matt Olson to be in the two spot whenever Friday rolled around and moving forward. And 
Snit stayed with the lineup. And so far, obviously, it's working. I mean, they they dropped like 34 runs in those three games with Ozzy in the two and Matt Olson in the five spot. Uh, and it seems like they're going to keep it. And I, I don't hate it. This lineup is just rolling right now, as we outlined. Gives Matt an opportunity to come up with a whole bunch of runners on base. I believe he leads baseball in RBI right now. And then Ozzy, for as well-documented as his his success from the right side has been, he's really hitting from the left side right now, too. And quite obviously, when about 75 80% of your at-bats are going to come from that side, if he's going to continue to hit like this and really establish himself after a couple of down years, at least by his standards, establish himself as one of the game's very best second basemen, I mean, it just adds another layer to this lineup that, uh, I mean, I, I again, I don't know where you go for outs the way this team is going right now. Agreed. And, you know, Ozzy's always been streaky, low-key. We've talked about that a lot on the podcast. You know, I'm a huge fan of Ozzy. always have been very, very, very high on him. Uh, but he's not been a great left-handed hitter for the majority of his career. I mean, he's been kind of the, we, we make the joke about him being Mike Trout on the right side. It's, it's kind of true in some respects. But if, if he's hitting... From the left side, they there's not a whole lot you can do against this lineup. That's a very simplistic way to look at it, but it's also true. And I think his OPS now for the for the season batting left handed is like back to like a league average level, which is all it needs to be. Because if he's league, if he's league average there, look out. You know him hitting second against righties. I can kind of take it or leave it. I'm not I'm not bothered by it. I don't necessarily love it given the track record of him long term, but it obviously has worked this weekend. He's seeing the ball well from the left side. That's worked out. Um, Olsen, you know, has been hit and miss, but the power is the power. It's been potent at times and the rest of the lineup is pretty uh, devastating. So no complaints here. I think uh, just for the record, if people don't know this podcast that well, I, you know, I get bothered by lineup construction when it makes no sense, but we also acknowledge, and I think you agree with me, but uh, it's not that big of a deal, no matter what, like it's not, it's a, it can be an annoyance for sure. But I don't think that the reason why the Braves were hitting this weekend is because of the lineup construction. <laughs> I'll just say that out loud. No. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I get it. It's all uh, kind of where you fall on these things. Yeah. The Colorado Rockies pitching staff probably oh, had something man. to do with it. Oh, the Rockies. You know what, Scott? Let's do this now real quick. We're not going to pile too much on the Rockies, but just for context, it has to be done. They are uh, very bad. They are very, very bad, um, especially when it comes to run prevention. So, we met everything we said earlier about the Braves offense and it, it it is very, very good. In fact, the Braves lead the national league and run scored. You can't fake that no matter what the Rockies uh, are dead last in the national league in run prevention, AKA they have allowed 59 more runs than any other team in the national league this year. That is horrific. So there's a little small caveat to the weekend. Like they still did it. The Braves are still potent. But the Rockies helped out with just how just how bad it was because the Braves were just bombing away. And even today, when they got down five nothing, it was like they never fought out of the game. Normally, when you're not five nothing, the game's not over. But like you kind of feel like you're in some trouble. You know, I guess there was a little bit of trouble early in the game on Sunday. But with this Rockies pitching staff and the Braves offense, it was like a very live situation, which shouldn't be the case down five runs. No, Rockies. I mean, they have some injuries too. I mean, that was. Um... They're I bad. feel bad for Colorado <laughs> Rockies fans. They have a great fan base. I've spent time in Denver. They're a very passionate fan base, but I think just years and years of ineptitude and bad spending and lack of player development. I mean, that was a brutal showing by Colorado. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think Bud Black is a good manager. He's been around for a long time. And I mean, they just looked defeated. 
I mean, I mean, clearly they were getting bombed on by the Braves who, I mean, arguably, and I, I think it's a, they're making a pretty good case. This is the best one to 26 roster in the sport. Um, you know, they, they got their butts whooped and they look like a team that were thoroughly getting their butts whooped. Yeah. Uh, we agree on that. Um, one more thing from Thursday, what were the odds preseason of the Braves covering an entire nine, nine inning game in June with only AJ Smith, Shaver, and Michael Tonkin pitching? Yeah, baby. <laughs> I, that was, I like uh, Tonkin. Like, yeah, he's fine. He, he's been a great find, man. His his underlying numbers probably mean some regression is coming, but he has a great story. I'm a sucker for guys like that who just stick with it and do whatever they can to make the majors. And then, yeah, I mean, you mentioned AJ Smith Shaver. That's a real uh, feather in the cap for the Braves' player development guys because that has been a crazy ascension, and, and he looks like he belongs out there. Yes, he does. You know, again, to the weekend, lots of home runs. Like, it's going to feel like we're repeating ourselves. But uh, so Friday, Darno hits a home run. Rosario hits another home run. Uh, the Darno one, I mean, you made some notes here. He hit a ball very, very far on Friday <laughs> that was, like, pretty – and by the way, this is not a course field game. They were playing in Atlanta this weekend. Notable. Yeah, I, I didn't realize Travis Darno had 474 feet in him. That's a long I mean, way. That's uh, that's like Ronald Acuna, Matt Olson territory. He had another uh, one too in the, in, the, in the game as well. That was not it was not a cheapie either. Like a couple of yeah. uh, what do you go? He went nine hundred feet in two home runs in the same game. Travis Darno, yeah, old man he yeah, is. I mean, he uh, and Travis has been a little slow coming back from the concussion. So for him to hit those two home runs, especially knowing that the Braves, at least for a little bit, are probably going to be without Sean Murphy. Um, is great. And again, it just goes to show the depth on this team is great. Uh, you mentioned Eddie Rosario, also mashed one. Eddie is on just some kind of a heater right now. And then maybe my favorite stat that we're going to read off here, Ronald Acuna Jr., 30 stolen bases in 70 baseball games. Um, is that good? That, that's, uh, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. And oh, yeah, he's a pretty good hitter, too, if, if uh, you hadn't heard. Old friend Eric Cole sweating, but the home runs are not not quite on pace for Eric's tattoo, so he can uh, breathe breathe safely for now. But uh, don't don't fear, Ronald might just hit five in a week and it'll be back on pace. Um, yeah. You, yeah. you mentioned Eddie Rosario. I, I have a couple couple things there. We talked about how hot he's been recently, but he had an eighty one WRC plus in the month of April. Obviously, pretty bad. Seventy one in the month of May. So that's more. You know, that's two thirds of the season so far. How good he's been in June. Even if you include April and May, he has a 114 WRC plus for the season. So basically, he has been Babe Ruth in the month of June so far to the point where it would have been unthinkable to me and you and anyone even like a week and a half ago that Eddie would be at a 114 WRC plus right now. And like, that's where he is. And, you know, he, he is also prone to streaks. Um, and I guess he just kind of owns the National League West. I mean, that's been a talking point this week. But I guess it might, it might just be true. But Eddie just ranks against these certain teams and uh, you can't bank on this from Eddie Rosario, but if he's kind of, I mean, left field's kind of been the question mark spot all year long. And if he's doing this, like there are no question marks. I mean, you don't want to be too aggressive about it, but it's kind of true. Well, and I'll, I'll capitulate on this one here, but at the end of May, I was tweeting that the Braves probably needed to go out and improve left field. I mean, he was like, terrible to be, to be fair was. to you. He was bad. Like, and, yeah. and, the and the defense is the defense. He's not going to help you there much. So he's got to hit, and he wasn't hitting. Yeah, and all of a sudden he is hitting, uh, You know, especially from the left side, which, again, just helps balance out this lineup. There's a lot of thunder from the right side. 
Uh, but from the left side, it really is. It's Matt Olson and occasionally a switch hitting Aussie Albies. Uh, so if, if Eddie's hitting, especially in like the sixth or seventh spot, which is where he's been recently quite a bit, uh, and then Marcelo Zuna also providing power. I mean, talk about two guys who did not get off to good starts at all. I mean, it really does just a again for like the ninth time in this podcast, reiterate how absurd this team has been. And then inevitably, when someone like an Austin Riley is cool and struggling, or if Ronald Acuna Jr. ever calms down or without Sean Murphy for hopefully not too long, but without Sean Murphy or whoever it may be, right? It just underscores that even if a couple guys are struggling, one through nine, somebody's going to be hitting. And I mean, Eddie almost single-handedly carried them this week. And that's, you know, it wasn't just him by any means either. Yeah, so two two guys hitting from the left side. We have some notes on real quick. We talked about Eddie already, of course, but uh, I think uh, our mutual friend Stephen Tolbert was on this podcast while you were gallivanting across the world, and he put it like this. He basically said, Eddie has one job on the roster, and it's to hit right-handed pitching. And that's exactly what you just said in a roundabout way. Like, Eddie has to hit, has to hit righties or he shouldn't be playing. As of today, after the barrage for the season, he now has an 816 OPS against right-handed pitching. That's very good. He's slugging 511, and that's all you need. Ready, Rosario. That's that's the vast majority of his value. He's doing that. The other guy you mentioned, Matt Olson, has an 850 OPS against against right-handed pitching this year. He's been raking against righties. Um, he also hit a grand slam on Saturday that uh, prompted a whole discussion. And I don't know what you're going to say to this. I think I do. There was a there was sort of sort of a discourse. I don't really know why, but there were people that were kind of like upset or bothered or flummoxed by him swinging 3-0 even though the numbers when Braves hitters swing 3-0 are like through the absolute stratosphere I, I, I guess there was some pushback to like DOB and others and Grant uh I can't imagine that you don't like this Scott but what do you think of 3-0 pitching uh 3-0 pitches in the in the green light for these guys who have who have power yeah it's not just the Braves the 3-0 count is by far like by far the best pitch to swing on in baseball. So yes, anytime the Braves are 3-0 within reason. I mean, if, if you have a guy who, uh, you know, if, if it's a pinch hitting situation or something, or if like it's a tie game and you need one run, then sure, maybe you you take a pitch 3-0 just to see if he'll walk you and, and get that one run. But in the first inning, 3-0 count, absolutely. And Matt Olson, a veteran hitter, yeah, he, he should be swinging every single time, assuming it's, you know, fairly close to the zone. Yeah. And uh, DOB pulled this. I'm going to assume it's correct. Um, the Braves have had 25 plate appearances in which the hitter has swung 3-0 and that was the end of the plate appearance. Uh, this is not a made up slash line. I promise this is actually true. 625-926-2000 slash line. Like that's not OPS. 2000 is the slugging percentage. <laughs> so I yeah. guess when the Braves have green light, they, they, they do pretty well at 3-0. Um, look, yeah, that's um, I think that's probably a stat or a a trend in baseball that has really changed over the last 10, 15. Well, yeah, I mean, tra- traditionally, like the reason why I'm even asking the question, and I think that's why people are getting a little bit pushback on on the beat writers was like, that used to be taboo. Like you didn't swing 3-0. That's just like, that's one of those old school. I don't know if it was a hard and fast rule, but it just didn't happen very much. I wonder though, like with the way the game is trending and like, you know, just the way the way that numbers look, if you know that you're gonna get a certain pitch and you are someone with the power of a Matt Olson, you know, 
it's kind of on a tee for you. Like it's not, it's not, it's not free. It's not free, like actually on a tee for you, but when your numbers look like that, why wouldn't you let him swing? I guess it's just positional. Like what, like what, what you said, like situationally, maybe not, but all things equal, let her rip in. Yeah. Swing hard, baby. This Braves team, <laughs> there was a crazy stat and I should have pulled it, but um, basically the Braves hit more barrels than any team in the league by a mile. And I want to say the number was the Braves have more barrels as a team and a barrel is it means you basically you hit the hell out of the baseball. I believe that the stat was that the difference between the Braves and the number two team, which is the Tampa Bay Rays, in barrels this year, the difference between number one and number two was greater than the difference between number two and number thirty. Which so I, have, I believe uh, it's honestly, insane. Yeah, I, they hit the hell out of the baseball. Is and probably. It, <laughs> in one sentence, how I would describe this offense to somebody who has seen zero innings of the Atlanta Braves this year. And if you're skeptical, I've seen some skepticism of the StatCast stats, and I understand they can be a little bit much to understand, but barrels are just what Scott said. You get the ball hard. Now, you mentioned the Rays are number two in barrels. So the Braves are number one in all of Major League Baseball and home runs. The Rays are number two. Not a coincidence. The Braves are number one in OPS in all of Major League Baseball. The Rays are number two. The Braves are number one in sluggy percentage. Wait for it, Scott. The Rays are number two. So barrels are good, let's just say. We want barrels. <laughs> barrels we want lead to barrels. good results. <laughs> we, we, uh, for the most part, we don't want soft contact going the other way. No matter what uh, an old broadcast booth would tell you, swing hard, hit the baseball hard, and good things are going to happen. Barrels are good. Um, so Sunday's game, we talked about it briefly earlier, but 14 to six win. They had 18 hits and seven walks today. Just an absolute bludgeoning of the Rockies. Rosario hits two home runs again, down five, nothing. Ozzy hits the other home run that he, you know, he's been dialed in. Harris goes five for five. They scored 56 runs in six games over the winning streak. Uh, that's, you know, nine plus per game, just outrageous stuff. I have nothing else to add. I guess the only question about today was what you thought about Morton, because he was certainly shaky. I'm not saying he pitched well because he didn't. But um, I think old pal Dan Simpson, um, an alum of our of our website at one point, I believe, uh, was talking about like he got no help defensively, like a lot of ground balls from Charlie early in the game that were just like either finding the right places for the hitters or just not being fielded very well. Again, he didn't pitch very well, but he settled in. And I thought he was like kind of fine. And then, uh, of course, we we had to do the whole the whole take cycle about how Charlie Morton sucks again. And it's like you look up at the end, at the end of the start, he has a three point seven one ERA. It's like he's he's, yeah. he's been fine, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. He has yeah. Charlie's been perfectly fine. Um, he has not been an ace. No. And I don't think anyone is. He's thirty nine years old. That. Yes, thirty nine years old. Hopefully, in another month, the Braves get Max Fried back. And if Bryce Elder continues to throw the baseball well, which he did again on Saturday afternoon, well, then you're kind of looking at Charlie Morton as your number four. You can do a whole lot worse than Charlie Morton as the fourth starting pitcher on your team. Uh, you know, again, his starts have been a little shaky. Seems like he's had some first inning problems. Uh, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, he had a a ball up the middle that was deflected. Probably should have been fielded by Orlando Arcia. I think Orlando would have told you he should have at least fielded it and then thrown to first and gotten one out. Then there was another ball in a no man's land into the shortstop's hole that just wasn't really fielded, had no play. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if Chuck is going out there giving up three home runs every night, then you, I think you have a bigger reason to be concerned. 
but yeah, I mean, it, it was not his best start by any means, but as we've seen, this lineup is just so good. You know, the pitching staff doesn't have to be perfect every single night in order to win. Yeah, and I, I'm purposely not doing this dive that we could have done. I thought about doing it. I pulled some numbers for it. I'm going to leave it out for now. But like about how, you know, I think Steven mentioned it in the last week or so. We've now seen signs for the first time all year of the pitching staff really kind of wavering with the absence of Freed and Wright. And that makes sense. I mean, you take any any team's, you know, two, number one guy in Freed or at least 1A versus Strider. And then you're number three from Wright from last year off the roster and like you're gonna be hit by that and i think the braves have done a good job because their offense kind of withstanding that and but the fact that you know we, we talked about earlier but strider has been very ordinary for six weeks now morton is just fine he's not great he's pretty good but he's not anything better than that freed's not pitching Wright's not pitching i mean that's go back to april if i told you just those four things scott like that's a disaster like a full-on disaster and the braves yes. keep winning every almost every night and it's you can't yeah. bank on the office doing this, but I mean, the fact they've been able to kind of withstand what's going on with the rotation is more of a positive, I think, than anything else. Obviously, you need those guys back and pitching better, but you know, the fact they've been, they're still winning despite all that is kind of crazy almost. Oh, yeah. Oh, if I asked you hypothetically in the spring, hey, it's going to be the middle or middle or late June, and the Braves have gotten like three healthy starts out of Freed and Wright combined. What's the Braves record, Brad? I mean, would we have worse said they're probably 500 or so, right? Like, well, and espe- those- again, especially especially if you throw in the fact that I know Strider was really good early on, but Strider right now has a has an ERA over four. Like, it's yeah. not like he's been incredible. I mean, he's been good. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, there's not like a, the crazy thing about this. I think is that there hasn't been some other outlier performance in the rotation. I know I know Bryce Elder has kind of been an outlier, but he's he's cooled off. He's not he's not pitching terribly, but he's cooled off a little bit. His ERA is back up to a reasonable ish level, like in the mid to high twos. That's still lower than you would think, but yeah, it's it's wild, and it's still getting it's getting later and later in the season. And I, I guess it's because the offense has been the best in baseball. That's that's kind of a simple simplest reason for it, but. There's it's crazy. You know, we're we're big at pointing out when outliers are happening, and you could maybe argue this offense is not quite this good. But to flip it back on you, Scott, there's nothing at least for me. There's nothing outlierish about the Braves leading baseball in offense. Like that's that's a perfectly oh. reasonable outcome for this team. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're gonna see. Now, there's a couple of staples in this lineup, like Acuna and and Sean Murphy when he's back. You know, guys who we just know are going to be good. Right. They have a history of being good. Matt Olson, hopefully Austin Riley here soon, all fit that mold. And even if guys like, say, in Orlando, Arcia comes down, runs into a little bit of bad luck because he's not going to carry a 400 batting average on balls and play the rest of the year. And I think there's still just some real upside that we're seeing with guys like Michael Harris and Kevin Pillar has been great. And Eddie Rosario has shown signs of, you know, has, has really come alive after a slower start. Um, yeah, I mean, it really is a testament to this lineup because the rotation, I think more so than the bullpen, the rotation has had some real questions and some real roadblocks to have to get over. And you know, when, when a third of your starts this year have been made by Jared Schuster, Dylan Dodd, 20 year old AJ Smith Shaver, and a medically trying to get all the way back Michael Soroka. I mean, that's a lot for a team to overcome. And the Braves just have not missed a beat. They're they have a comfortable lead in the division. 
They're on pace for another 100-plus wins as they did last year. I mean, it really is just impressive what this team has been able to do because, as we know, if there is anything that can derail an otherwise really good roster, it's injuries to a pitching staff, especially the starting rotation. Yeah, maybe we'll do a show on this at some point on its own almost, but if you go up and down the roster on the on the offensive side, there are guys who you would argue, at least I would argue, are underperforming. So it's not like everyone is playing above their heads. You know what I mean? Like there are RC is probably the one the example of a guy who is probably playing over his head offensively, but he's really the only one that is like notably above their head. Maybe you would argue Murphy at the plate a little bit, but he's still really good. Olsen's been an, if anything, kind of what you'd expect, maybe a little bit less. Riley's definitely been below his below his norms. Michael Harris until this week has been well below his norms. Darno kind of right in line. Ozuna obviously hot and cold. Same with Rosario, but no one's like for the full season, no one is so far above their heads other than Arcia. And guys like Riley and, and Harris are like notably under. So it's not like they're doing anything that's totally out of, out of the ordinary other than, you know, June, you could argue, I, and I probably would, is a little bit over their heads as a team. But that's kind of the way this stuff works. Like you're going to have hot streaks. That's what it is. Yeah, it is. And I was looking at some league-wide numbers and I was curious how the batted ball data had shifted now that there's the lack of shifting. Um, and it, the batting average on balls in play has gone up a couple of ticks. I think the league average is up about uh, five batting average points. Usually it hovers around 300. I think it had gone a little below that in prior years with how good shifting had become. Of course, this year with the the limited strict uh, restrictions on shifting, it has gone up. But, you know, as a team, the Braves have a 305 batting average on balls in play. So right around league average. Now, last year with the Mets, they were carrying an absurdly high BABIP for the first couple of months. And it was like, okay, at some point, this is going to come crashing back down to earth. And lo and behold, it did. And the Mets really struggled to score runs in the second half of 2022. Uh, So just looking, not even just individually player by player, just as a whole, this lineup does basically everything well. Uh, Despite all of the... um, chatter about the strikeouts on the team (laughs) Braves are actually one of the better teams in the National League at not striking out you would never believe it based on uh you know comments and and tweets Um, but this team does not overly strike out they walk a good rate we just outlined how well they hit for power they they hit get on base they hit for average as well at a pretty high clip so yeah I mean this lineup even if there are guys who are going to run hot and cold Overall, I mean, I, I don't know what else you could really hope for. We agree on all of that. The we mentioned it once before, twice before on this podcast. The one negative of the week really is Sean Murphy. So he left the game Saturday with a hamstring tweak of some sort. They were up comfortably in the game, so there was obviously some incentive to be very cautious about that. He's not going on the IL as of today. They did recall Chadwick Trump and DFA Charlie Culberson. How about this? Culberson was on the roster for four weeks and never played in the game. That is insane. <laughs> How does that Club, happen? Good, yeah, good clubhouse vibes. Charlie, Charlie. Uh, yeah, Charlie Culberson. Uh, old Chuck. Old Chuck. Yeah, there we go. Um, hey, I would love to be on a major league roster for a month and get paid like $100,000. It was and- the first, yeah, the first time in my entire life I could say with 100% certainty that I could have done that job for a month. That's right. We just need our chance, Brad. Get the uh, get the Braves on the horn. I'm ready. I mean, just just be a vibes guy. Anyway, um, yep. 
they they DFA'd him. That's that's the right move. Um, Murphy told uh, Justin Justin Toscano of the AJC that it was a, it's a mild issue, and the MRI confirmed that. Uh, Murphy said, and I quote, "It's good, not great, but good considering the situation." End quote. So that's probably positive. Uh, they will be cautious with him as they should be. He is uh, awesome, so they have to be careful. And as noted multiple times on this podcast over months and months, the Braves have the best, without question, backup catcher in baseball. So you don't want to ever be without Sean Murphy, but having Travis Arno as your, as your number two is like a comedy of riches. So that's a positive. Chadwick Trump can play once or twice a week for a while if he has to, but hopefully Murphy's back on like Wednesday and they just say that they dodge a bullet. Yeah. Let's hope. I mean, anytime a guy grabs at the hamstring, yeah, it's scary. I mean, that that is one injury that can really hold the guy back, especially a catcher. Right. Um, yeah. W- whether he's back catching quickly or even just as the team's DH, maybe the Braves don't necessarily want Murphy going out there and squatting behind the plate for nine innings. But you can utilize him as a DH, bring him back slowly. And as you just said, if you want to be ultra careful with your prized catcher, put him on the injured list, backdate it a little bit. He's back in a week and a half, two weeks. Let Travis Darnot go out there and catch basically every day. Maybe Chadwick Trump makes a day day game start, uh, which is not going to kill you. And again, the luxury of being so good early on is you have a healthy division lead. All right. If, if you need to have Chadwick Trump go out there, obviously he is not Sean Murphy. But, you know, this isn't September where the Braves have to win every night in order to, to make the playoffs. Uh, it's, it's a long game. Um, and yeah, and, but thankfully not a serious injury. And then also with Jesse Chavez, who we should quickly mention, I know it was touched on earlier in the week on this feed. It uh, seems like Jesse's going to be okay. I know uh, it seems like he was very much feeling the effects of being 39 years old and taking <laughs> a pretty bad tumble yeah. after that comebacker. Thank goodness it did not break his leg. Of course, you immediately thought of Charlie Morton and his broken leg in the World Series. It seemed like uh, like Jesse was able to protect himself a little bit before he got the contact. Uh, but again, you get Jesse back. And Mark Bowman, I know I'm rambling here, Brad, Uh, Mark Bowman, I thought, made a good point earlier about Jesse Chavez. As good as he has been, he was on pace to make about 70 appearances this season. Yeah, That is a lot for anybody, let alone uh, a guy in his late, late 30s. So maybe two weeks off is not the worst thing in the world. Let Jesse fully recover, get his shoulder and elbow a break, and then hopefully hit the ground running in the second half. I, first of all, I would never ramble on this podcast, Scott. I would never, I would never do that. That's not that's never. Like, we, we never do that. Um, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with you on, on Chavez. Uh, ben Hill did his job this week too. Um, a guy I, I was not super familiar with, to be honest with you, who they traded for from the Rays. He did, he did fine. Um, and yeah, hold it down. Cross your fingers on Sean Murphy. I think the early returns, as of again Sunday night when we're recording this podcast, it's about as positive as it could be. But there is still a chance that he has to go on the IL in a couple of days. So hopefully not. But we'll keep an eye on that in the near future before we get out of here scott a look ahead they're actually off on monday so everyone can listen to this podcast during the off day hopefully um and then they go to a road trip actually the entire week it's three in philadelphia and then three in cincinnati um philadelphia obviously it's always big when the braves and the uh and the phillies get together uh the braves do lead the Phillies by eight games right now but philly has actually won six in a row so it's a it's a battle of scalding hot baseball teams this week, and uh, they're facing some decent uh, Philly starters. 
No Zach Wheeler is always a positive, but uh, what do you make of this series that's coming up? Because the Braves are uh, obviously red hot, but they'll have a day off and be uh, and be fresh and rested. Yeah, anytime these two clubs get together, it always seems like we get fireworks. Uh, you know, the Braves broadcast booth was talking the other night about this series, actually, and they they talked about how important the series is for the Phillies. And I, I generally agree. Uh, the Phillies are eight games back. The Braves are not. These are more important games for the Phillies than the Braves. Now, that being said, though, I think kind of like the Mets series last week, it would be great for the Braves to go in there and really make a statement. And no, you cannot win the division in late June, but it would be really, really, I think, a statement if the Braves go into Philly and win two out of three, right? The the pitching matchups are, uh, you know, I think they're fairly balanced. You're going to get... Uh, Spencer Strider against Ranger Suarez. That's probably the best matchup overall. Then you have Aaron Nola against AJ Smith Chauver. Nola uh, has, has been a terrific pitcher for a long time, although he has given up a million home runs this year. And we know the Braves can hit home runs, so maybe that works in their favor. And then Bryce Elder against Taiwan Walker, who somehow got a big old contract this offseason from the Phillies. Uh, he's He's been very, very average. So it it does feel like a big series. And then the Cincinnati Reds, who I I don't really think are very good, you know, they're hovering around 500. They've won eight in a row as of recording this. They are taking advantage of a very bad NL Central. And they have some young talent on that team who could certainly give the Braves some trouble. Yeah. As a record, like like you said, they won eight in a row. That's the longest active streak in Major League Baseball at this very moment. So. The Reds are hot. I don't know what that really means. Uh, they're underwater, run, run differential-wise, not quite like the Marlins, who I know it's like a weekly thing in this podcast. The Marlins just keep doing it. Scott, the Marlins are 10 games over 500 with a negative run differential. I don't even know what to say about that, They but they're still doing it, and that's why the Braves' lead is a little bit smaller than you might think it would be in the National League East. But anyway, back to the Reds. Uh, winnable, but you're playing on the road, and they, like you said, they, are, they, have a, they have some talent. They're not great but they're okay they're a team that can beat you if you don't play well and uh a nice little test for the braves nothing crazy but you go on the road and then the braves been good on the road this year so far but it's usually supposed to be a little bit more difficult in general and a couple of teams that they're better than but no one uh, there are no rockies on the schedule this week which makes it a lot a lot, a lot, more, a lot more difficult very sadly no more yeah, no more rockies Colorado, on the schedule. yeah until august which is just kind of funny to think about Braves won't see the Rockies until August, which is, of course, post-trade deadline. So you think about just how bad that roster could be if they trade away some parts. Um, Yeah, and in one housekeeping note, you mentioned the Marlins. Marlins just keep finding ways to win games, and I haven't deeply dug into this. I feel like every time I look at a Marlins score, they're playing the Nationals, or they're playing the Rockies or they're playing, you know, it feels like they have not maybe played the best competition. That could just be my, you know, non-scientific memory. Um, And and then the Phillies are playing better. They have an interesting team profile. The Phillies actually are second in the major leagues in batting average on balls in play. So they're hitting about 320 as a team, which seems like it's going to come back down although they are getting healthier with Bryce Harper being back. So that they're a fascinating team. And then Brad, the New York Mets are 12 and a half baseball games out of the National League East on June 18th, June 19th of listening. 
12 and a half back. And they have one of the most difficult schedules of anybody coming up. I think they see the Houston Astros. They have the Rays coming up. Uh, I think they have um, the Dodgers coming up. I mean, the Mets, there's a world where this season gets away from the Mets in a hurry. And they're, you know, they're fighting for their lives just to make a wild card spot. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty wild world. We'll spend some more time on that in the future, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, 12 and a half is just... Even as well as the Braves have played, you would not have expected a 12 and a half game lead on the Mets. And the Mets being fourth in division, even with all the Marlins jokes I've made, uh, they're seven and a half games ahead of the Mets. Like that is that is remarkable. Yeah. So the, um, Mets just, the Mets are bad. It's crazy. Right, right that, yeah, right now they are. I mean, it's it, you could, yeah, they're underwater run differential wise. There's not a whole lot to be excited about if you're the Mets. And look, we're not going to make the mistake of calling anything because we saw what happened last year oh, in the no. other direction. Oh, we're not doing that. But at the moment, they're not they're not playing very well, uh, which is uh, I know there's uh, lots of fun for Braves fans when that happens. I know Kevin McAlpin tweets the Braves whenever the Mets lose and gets a lot of uh, engagement on that. It works out. It's a good bit for him. But uh, yeah, we all want the Mets to lose, to be honest. That's what happens. Yeah. So part of the sport. OK, Scott, let's get out of here. The Atlanta Braves are on a 104 win pace in the middle of June. There isn't a whole lot to be co- to be complaining about at this moment in time. So a pretty upbeat podcast. And I do appreciate you doing it with me. Please tell folks who might be new listeners to the podcast where they can find all of your fantastic takes about baseball. There you go. Um, yeah. And a uh, quick happy father's day shout out to all of our dads Absolutely. out there. Um, hope everybody is having a great weekend holiday weekend. Um, I'm at Scott Coleman 55 on Twitter. Also have some written content. Be sure to check out batterypower.com. Um, and thanks, Brad. Always good to do one of these with you, buddy. Happy to be home after a lot of travel over the last month. And uh, life is good when the Braves are playing the way they're playing. Just a lot of fun every single night when they take the field. And we'll do this again next weekend. Absolutely. Batterypower.com. And please, please, please subscribe to this podcast network where you have three shows for the price of one, which happens to be zero dollars. You have this show, the flagship, so to speak usually with Scott and I, and then you have the Daily Hammer with Sean Coleman. Sean does a fantastic job three, four, five times a week doing the bite-sized version of the podcast and uh, really, really keeping everybody abreast of the latest news. Then you have the podcast we named later with Chris Willis and Stephen Tolbert, a great midweek show as well. So we're trying to cover you guys from every single direction. We have some plans, hopefully, for some MLB draft coverage, which is not the sort of expertise of myself or Scott. I can make XP for Scott on that one, but we'll have that coming up in the future as well. All-Star break looming, trend deadline looming. Great time to subscribe to the podcast. So go ahead and do that. Apple, Spotify, all those fun places. Tell a friend about the show. And uh, with all that said, thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy your Father's Day, and we'll see you all next time.